It was almost real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast, episode 22. Welcome to It Was Almost Real, the Pro Wrestling History Podcast dedicated to the history of professional wrestling between 1870 and 1920, although this week we're going to go much uh, further in history than that, not further back, but more contemporary. And since the Muhammad could not come to the mountain, the mountain came to Muhammad, and back in studio this week I had my cousin Dan, who we went to the wrestling matches together in the 80s and the 90s. So what we're going to talk about in this bonus episode, this is going to be released on Monday, April 24th, and in this bonus episode, we're going to talk about the ways in which professional wrestling has evolved since we started watching wrestling and became fans. For me, it was 1978 or 1979 watching wrestling at the Chase uh, in St. Louis. When did you remember watching, Dan? Uh, I tell you what, I would have to say it was probably um, 83, 84, because I remember I was in grade school uh, starting to watch it, especially, um, I remember one of my first uh, matches I ever saw on TV was UWF. Um, oh, yeah, so that was 85, 86. Yeah. Sorry, we had a minor interruption in the <laughs> studio, but... Uh, so yeah, but, uh, UWF came on uh, KDNL Channel 30, one of yeah. our local affiliates, uh, and then after that went off, uh, WCCW came on, and then uh, after that you switched to another St. Louis local affiliate, uh, KPLR, and they ran WWE. So yeah. uh, Sunday mornings uh, before uh, cable were always, you know, uh, three hours chock full of uh, wrestling from other parts of the world. So Yeah. Yeah, I remember, um, so you started watching wrestling and Chase actually after it was a WWE show. Well, <laughs> WWF, because it wasn't WWE until the 2000s, but you were watching it when it was a WWF show. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it in the last few years of uh, Sam Muchnick's promotion mm-hmm. before the Kansas City group destroyed it, yeah. and they did definitely destroy it. Um, my hypothesis has always been, I, I, I am nostalgic for what I grew up on. Mm-hmm. You know, Sam Muchnick promoted it as a sport, and I think we lost a little bit when he retired. But nothing can stay the way it, it is. So professional wrestling, in the early days, it wasn't really national, but there was a national group that controlled it. It was the promoters that uh, started to emerge in the late teens, and the early 20s, the Jack Curleys, the uh, Paul Bowsers in uh, Boston, uh, Tom Contos at first, and then Tom Pax in St. Louis. And the, the whole territorial system really didn't develop. You had local promoters, but they all kind of worked together as a national group until they had disagreements, and then all the double crosses would happen. Correct. And then the NWA in 48 comes in, and then that's really when the territory system really takes off. And that's 
when I started watching wrestling, the territory system was still in full bloom. You didn't get shows from other parts of the country. And I remember coming down uh, to see Grandma in like 81 down here in Scott City. Mm-hmm. They had cable already. We didn't get cable in the city till 1986. Right. But they had cable down here, and they got Georgia Championship Wrestling. And I remember watching an episode or two of it and thinking, oh, this is kind of neat. But I still preferred St. Louis Wrestling, a little bit more uh, sports-oriented, mm-hmm. a, a little less of the brawls and the blood and, right. and all of that. For you, you really were coming in when this territory system is dying. Within a, just a few years, most of the territories were gone. Yeah, Vince McMahon really killed off the ter- territories for us. I mean, he bought, you know, he came into... Well, he uh, bought St. Louis, he definitely killed it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he took over, you know, Sam Mushnick, and then he started taking over, you know, various other territories. Uh, and then, you know, he finally outed AWA uh, and got was getting all their announcers and all their wrestlers from them. And basically, he uh, he took over wrestling, uh, you know, uh, WCW, or what became WCW, Bill Watts promotion. Um, you know, I mean, he was the biggest challenger down there. Uh, and he was still putting on good matches. But uh, as you know, they had the... Um, they didn't have a very good booker at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and and I've, I've always said that someone was going to go national. When you had cable television coming in in the late 70s and early 80s, and it was Georgia initially, Mm -hmm. and that did cause friction within the NWA because they're like, well, if you're going national, you're going to start cutting into my business and my territory. But someone was always going to go national. That didn't necessarily mean that they had to take the tack that Vince had, which is I'm going to put everybody else out of business and I'm going to be the only company. Correct. But someone was going to go national. So wrestling was going to change, regardless of whether Vince McMahon Jr. came around or not. There was going to be some changes. And I I think that wrestling couldn't have continued. Now, that doesn't mean it had to become what it is today, which is a combination of gymnastics and bad acting, bad comedy. Yeah. But it was going to evolve into a... There was going to be at least one national company if there weren't more. And, mm-hmm. you know, for a long time, there were two. Right. You had Jim Crockett Promotions, which became WCW. Mm-hmm. And then you had WWF, which eventually became WWE. You had two national companies. Mm-hmm. So that was always going to happen. One of the other things that I think happened to wrestling, so Vince tells everybody because he don't want to pay commission taxes anymore. This is a work business. It's an exhibition. A lot of people already suspected or knew, but right, he came right out and said it. But the whole system of kayfabe and not letting people know that wrestling was work, I think, also would have been adversely affected by the rise of MMA in 1993. No, yeah, because once, let's face it, particularly in the early years, maybe even the first ten or fifteen years, jujitsu players and wrestlers dominated. The UFC. Mm-hmm. So people saw a lot of what legitimate, legitimate, what a lot of contested, legitimate contests and grappling looked like. Right. They were going to start seeing through the wrestling if they aren't weren't already. And you could see through it, but they did a much, much better job of hiding it in the 80s and even the 90s. Um, so my own fandom, I was a big fan in the 80s. I started getting... I did never like WWF. There were people I liked. I liked Roddy Piper. 
mm-hmm. I like Paul Warndorf. But in general, I did not like WWE. I found it to be cartoonish. I, yeah. I much preferred Jim Crockett Promotions, but Jim Crockett Promotions was my third favorite promotion behind World Class and UWF, which was Mid-South before that. Right. Um, and I got World Class very early on, and we saw the Von Erichs in St. Louis very early on. Mm-hmm. So I was much bigger fan of World Class. But now, in hindsight, when I go back and watch the shows... Mid-South was a much better wrestling show. Oh, yeah. Uh, WCCW, World Class Championship Wrestling, it really hits its zenith in 83 and 84. When the Freebirds come in in late 82, Mm -hmm. 83 was really big. 84 is pretty good, but once David dies, that promotion already starts to show some issues right after David Von Erich's death. Right. And that's oh. that's about the time, and see, that's about the time I started really started watching the WCCW is right after he died. Right. I never did personally see David Von Erich on TV or in person wrestle. And to me, still to this day, he was the greatest of the Von Erichs. He didn't have the physique or the charisma of Carrie and Kevin, mm-hmm. but in the ring, I think David was head and shoulders above everybody else. He would have been the world champion had he lived. Yeah. He would have been the one in the family that they put the belt on, even if it was for a one-year run or a six-month, whatever mm-hmm. transition in between Flair and some of the... He would have had the run with the title. Harley Race said that he would have been the world champion. Yeah. At some point. But I preferred those over... So when it emerged WC, well... When it emerged Jim Crockett Promotions versus WWF, I was a Jim Crockett Promotions fan. But I was really kind of disappointed because the other groups that I really liked were going away. UWF was bought by Jim Crockett Promotions, mishandled. Mm -hmm. It went away. I became a big MMA fan when that first started to come out. So that affected my fandom as well. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I always tell Caleb is... Because Caleb knows a lot about legitimate grappling because of judo and watching MMA growing up. He didn't watch professional wrestling growing up. So I started to introduce him to some of the older stuff that I was a fan of. But I told him, I cannot recreate for you all of the uh, conditions Mm -hmm. that were there when I became a fan. Because you have everything that's ever been filmed pretty much at your fingertips now. Right. You know, because he has Peacock and he has YouTube. Mm -hmm. I said, you can see just about every wrestling thing that's ever been filmed. Right. I said, we didn't have that. I said, and you didn't skip over stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember when uh, I had the network before uh, Vince came back and I said, no, I'm done. Right. I could watch WWE programming, the eight hours of programming, Mm -hmm. between 30 minutes to an hour. Because I would just watch the things I was interested in. Right. Which was usually the bloodline segments and if there was a good match in there. Like you, the match you're going to talk about in a little bit. Right, yeah. Um, if there was a good match in there, I'd watch it. But I could, I could get through that. But I told him, I said, I would never have done that in the old days. No. Because we didn't get VCRs until 85 right. or 84. Christmas 84, we got our first VCR. Mm-hmm. We didn't have cable till 86. Right. I said, there was no way to rewatch any of this. I mm-hmm. said, so you watched that show when it was first run, and you ran to the bathroom as quick as you could, but in commercials, exactly. because if you missed it, you missed it. It wasn't and, being replayed. And if you was out of town, you was just SOL. Yeah, that's right. You missed it. If you missed it, you missed it. it yeah. was, you were out. So 
that's one of the challenges I think besides MMA and besides the way the wrestling business evolved itself the other challenge now is the technology everybody has everything in the world at your fingertips mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about anything you don't have to worry about sitting down to watch Wrestlemania Right. You can watch it three days later, and you mm-hmm. can skip over all the stuff that you don't want to watch. Exactly. When that first WrestleMania came up, I went to the bar with Dad, and mm-hmm. we watched that card at his bar. Yeah. Because he knew I really wanted to see it, and he said, hey, they're going to show that at the bar uh, that I go to. Do you want to go? And I'm like, yeah, I want to go. Right. Now, of course, I was disappointed because Mr. T and Hogan won, and I wanted Piper and Orndorff. Well, that. of course, yeah. That's that's. That's the but, travesty of justice of yeah. his card there. <laughs> and give Vince his due. The one thing Vince McMahon was really good at, he's really good at promoting wrestling because he sells you on the spectacle. Mm-hmm. Yes, he there does. was no way I was going to miss that. WrestleMania 2, I think I watched on tape. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to see WrestleMania 1 the day it occurred. So yeah. Dad and I went to the bar. I really wanted to see WrestleMania 3. Mm-hmm. And the reason I wanted to see WrestleMania 3 was because of Hogan versus Andre. And, of course, Hogan beat Andre, damn it. Yeah. Um, and see, for me, it was the uh, Savage versus Steamboat. Yeah, that was the match. That was the greatest match on that card. Yeah. But I think most people went to see that for Hogan versus Andre, the well, spectacle. Yeah. But everybody came away saying, that's one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. Right, yeah. And uh, but of course, as you know, I was much more a big a Savage fan than yes. I was an Andre fan. Yes. So. Well, I couldn't stand Hogan, as yeah. you know, when I almost got us killed at the wrestling matches <laughs> in '86 or '87, calling him both bogus and ticking off all the fans that were around us. Uh, and Hogan, I still think you were terrible. Uh, you made a lot of money. You were a great personality. I can't knock you for any of that. And you made one of the few matches with Ultimate Warrior that was watchable. Yeah, God, but, boy, that guy was... Oh, he yeah. was horrible. I'll say something nice about you, Hogan. Ultimate Warrior was ten times worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, But now you're dealing with all the technology. Mm-hmm. The fact that people can watch whatever they want, whenever they want. Right. And they can skip over the stuff that they're not interested in. Mm-hmm. And people's attention spans are so short now. I think the average time people spend on a video now is 10 to 20 seconds. Oh, wow. So you are really competing and you're really struggling to keep people's attention. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a it's a much different world that everybody's in. So it's going to be much harder to keep that attention. So again, wrestling is going to have to adapt. Now, they've adapted in a funny way. People have a shorter attention span than ever. So let's put two job guys out there and let them wrestle for 30 minutes. Right. You know, I don't get that at all. Uh, me neither. Um, but that's why wrestling is to a much smaller audience today than it ever was. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the diehard AEW fans. But the diehards, I'd say, are probably six to 700,000 people. Yeah. Um, and then you probably you throw in the casual fans with both WWE and AEW. You're probably talking two to three million people. Mm-hmm. Tops. Right. You know. Um, well, I will say that. You, you'd have ten times that watching back during the Monday Night Wars in the 90s. Exactly, yeah. And I tell you what, I and this is probably a different show, but, uh, you know, I was, I unbiasedly watched AEW to give it a chance. Mm-hmm. 
And it was just horrible. Um, it was it was just horrible. And I mean, there's probably out there people that will disagree with me, but uh, oh, they will. You know, but <laughs> I, I I did give it a chance, but I just couldn't watch it because it was so so bad. <laughs> yeah, and the the reason I think it's bad, and you can elaborate on what you think is. Mm-hmm. To me, it doesn't make sense. The things they're doing, they do a lot of cool moves, mm-hmm. but they don't make any sense in the match. And if you hit somebody with a devastating kick that would take their head off in real life, mm-hmm. and they jump back up without even selling it and go into their next set of moves, you just take me completely out of it. Right. That The, the obvious cooperation I see nowadays, and AEW is not alone in it, although they mm-hmm. have a real bad problem with it. And that is when you see obvious cooperation for some of these moves, and you see it in WWE, you see it in AEW, you know, they're not alone. That's what takes me out of the match. Right. Yes, I know it's entertainment. Yes, I know they're working. We all know they're working. But if you sat there, and when Ivor the Boneless is getting ready to stab somebody, the other guy grabs the sword, moves it directly in the middle of his chest, and then goes and nods at him so he can stab him with the sword, you're going to be completely taken out of that movie. Right, yeah, you know, exactly. If you want to say, if you want to make the claim, hey, we're just entertainment, we're just doing, you know, things like they do in the movies. Okay, then do things like they do in the movies. Right. In the movies, they don't look at the camera and wink and, you know, play mm-hmm. around and goof off. Oh, kind of like stuff. Guerrero did. Yeah. Her, uh, Eddie did in the days of WCW. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they don't do that stuff. So just follow the rules of entertainment if you're going to say that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. But the lack of the territories hurts the in-ring product. Oh, absolutely. And you look at a lot of the people that came up through the developmental system that weren't in the independents, mm-hmm. and they're not particularly good in the ring. Right. The best people in the ring over the last 20 years have come from the independents. I'm talking about... Brian Danielson. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about um, CM Punk. I'm talking about the, the oh the guy that's a phenomenal physical. Play. Uh, he was Cesaro in WWE. Claudio. Um, oh yes. Signoli. Yes. They all come from the Indies. Mm-hmm. But along the way, they worked with enough people that knew what they were doing. That it isn't just a bunch of moves. It tells a story. It moves you mm-hmm. through the thing. A lot of the independents have the bad habit of they just think of wrestling as moves and they just do a lot of moves and they cooperate with each other and it takes people out of it. Right. It doesn't make any sense. The people that have just come through developmental, they've got decent fundamentals. Almost none of them are great wrestlers. Yeah. And um, they do that homogenized WWE system that is also really high on bad comedy that Vince McMahon thinks is funny. And, and the, one of the biggest problems with WWE is now they have a crazy man at the helm once again. Yes. Uh-huh. And when he came back, I said, I'm done. Because I knew no matter what he said, no matter what they say in all these press conferences, Vince McMahon is not going to keep his hand out of creative. No, because he's, he's too much of a narcissist. Yes, he's not going to keep his hand out of that company. Mm-hmm. He was going to get back involved, and he was going to get back involved with creative. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, and you know, that's the thing that I don't appreciate. I mean, you know, 
back in the day, um, Dusty Rhodes cutting the Hard Times promo. Uh, Ric Flair, who was, you know, a jet-stealing, limousine-riding, kiss-stealing son of a gun. Woo! People don't talk on the mic anymore. They don't cut promos like that anymore. And to me, that's part of the story because I'm wanting to see somebody kick Ric Flair's rear end next week because he's out there looking, you yeah. know, being an a-hole. Yeah. <laughs> you know? talking about them and their wives and their kids and everything yeah, else. Yeah, exactly. You know? um, they could talk people into the building. You mm -hmm. don't see that as much anymore. The great talkers tend to be people that aren't in the ring, like Paul Heyman. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and I will say something about AEW. There were a couple of times that I watched what they were doing with a couple of people. Mm -hmm. The way they handled Hook initially yeah. was flawless. Mm -hmm. Until they started having him working with Dan Housen, and now he's working with a few other people that he shouldn't be working with. Mm -hmm. But initially, that was flawless. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way they used uh, Malachi Black, who was Aleister Black in WWE, initially, I'm like, Tony gets it. Yeah. Vince never got it. He didn't yeah. have a clue how to use uh, Malachi Black. But I'm like, Tony gets it. Yeah. And then they had Cody beat him right before Cody leaves. Mm -hmm. And then what they've done with him with the House of Black and that makes no sense whatsoever. You're right. And they've exactly. got Buddy... Uh, Matthews now, he was Buddy Murphy in WWE, who I thought was a great talent in WWE. Him and uh, Malachi Black, who's Aleister Black at the time, mm -hmm. had some of the best matches I've seen in the last five or six years Okay, yeah. in WWE. Mm -hmm. um, as a matter of fact, uh, I hadn't seen the... I can't remember which... It wasn't Extreme Rules, but it was around that time frame of the year. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't seen the match yet. And... I hadn't seen, I'm sorry, I hadn't seen the card yet. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I was at one of the kids' birthday parties, and Ron told me, hey, there's only one match on there worth seeing, but you got to see it. Yeah. And it was that match between, at the time, Buddy Murphy and uh, Aleister Black, who are now Malachi Black, and but, but right. Buddy Matthews. And they're in the same group, the House of Black. you got a three-person group, and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like... You had it, but then you lose it. Yeah. And I think that's the whole story of AEW. Now, maybe Tony's getting it a little bit. Because I understand that despite the feelings of the executive vice presidents, they're getting ready to bring CM Punk back. Yeah. That will help that company tremendously. Oh, yeah. Because you get your biggest star back, the person that can pop you a big number on the pay-per-view, mm -hmm. and who can help people if they're willing to be helped. Right. Now, I know I've heard that, you know, he can be acerbic at times and stuff, but I've also heard from a lot of people in both MMA and uh, wrestling who love him. Yeah. I think he's very helpful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, well, I've always said most high performers are prima donnas, mm -hmm. and you've got to work around that. And that's what I'm saying. I just hope that uh, when he comes back, it's, he doesn't bring a toxic uh, atmosphere with him. Yeah. Um, because I think last time CM Punk was with it in the... Uh, the you know the whole brawl backstage with the young guns and our, was it the young guns or young studs young bucks young bucks you know that was all very they, they would love to be the young studs <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're the young bucks but, uh, I think that and, it was and, just a very know, toxic atmosphere yeah, at that time at so. Ring of Honor I didn't think they were that bad but they would do stuff at Ring of Honor that didn't make sense one of the things I think they had the bad habit of doing is they do everything they can 
in every single match. And oh. And they do moves that should paralyze people, mm-hmm. and then they hop back up and get into the next spot. Right, yeah. But I, I actually enjoyed some of their matches when they were in Ring of Honor. Oh, okay. Kenny Omega, I have not liked any of his stuff from the United States. Yeah. But if you go back, I'm trying to remember the name of the gentleman he wrestled. There was a match from the mid or early, the mid 2000s or early 2010, 2011, Mm -hmm. with another, with a Japanese wrestler. And they did moves I've never seen before. And it was a compelling, interesting match. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, so I think some of the things that he did in Japan were pretty good. Right. But I haven't liked any of the stuff I've seen. And let's, he's getting older. Maybe his body's just so beat up from Japan. From Japan right. And that Japanese style. <laughs> Maybe he just can't do it. Japan is a tough, tough place. Shoot. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to yeah. say. That's about three-quarter shoot. So, you know, your body usually, I mean, Doc, Gordy, all those guys. Oh, yeah. They were really beat up and mm. worn out by the time they got in their 40s. So, for my me and my fandom... So, in the 80, late 80s, I was starting to kind of lose a little bit of interest. I'd come down here and we'd go, we'd go to see the matches in yeah. the late 89, early 90s. And then there was a period from like 91 to 93 or 94, I really wasn't watching. Yeah. But I started watching again in 93 or 94 when Bret Hart started to emerge as a world. And that actually happened when Flair was there in 91. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw maybe a couple of their matches, but I really wasn't watching during that two or three year period. <clears throat> but in '94, I started watching again mm-hmm. because Bret Hart was going through his second round as champion. Yeah, and the matches I thought were great. And Vince never had the best wrestling, but I think in the mid '90s, WWF had the best wrestling. Mm-hmm. Had nothing to do with Vince though. Right. It was with Pat Patterson, who mm-hmm. was a great producer, and he had the talent to work with to do it. Right. The Shawn Michaels, the Bret Hart's, the Undertaker. He had guys that could go in the ring. Um, and then when he got Austin and he got uh, Mick Foley before his body just started breaking down. Yeah. He had guys that could do it. So then, in the mid-90s, I thought WWF was much better than WCW. If you go back and you look at those Monday Night Wars... Mm-hmm. That was only compelling for about a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just too many run-ins, too many people. You know, they diluted the whole NWO thing so badly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, everybody was a member. Right. I think I was red and black. 30, 32 members when they're all wearing different colors. Yeah. I was on TV just for a little right. bit. You know? Hey, we're going to make the <laughs> we're gonna make the popcorn guy NWO this weekend. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, that really, that wasn't that good, but... Even though they were beating WWF in the rating war at the time, WWF was putting on much better matches. Mm-hmm. And when uh, Bret Hart came back from that uh, extended six-month time off where yeah. Jeffy passed away, and he had taken time off after WrestleMania when he dropped the belt to Sean. Right. From when he came back in late 96, I think his first match was with Stone Cold at uh, Survivor Series told the Montreal screw job the following Survivor Series. I yeah. think he did his best work during that one year mm-hmm. period. And Stone Cold was on the rise. They just had a lot of really compelling storylines going on at the time. And I think that their yeah. pay-per-views were just head and shoulders above the yeah. ones that WCW was yeah. putting out at the time. And their production quality was always very good. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
I was still a fan of MMA in that time frame, but mm-hmm. UFC was kind of going through a dark period. Yeah. So I was still, I would say, more wrestling fan than MMA fan at that time, just because UFC uh, was struggling to even get pay-per-view. I mean, it was mm-hmm. basically an internet product for a while. Right. And then I was enjoying what WWF was doing, and eventually they put WCW out of business in 2001. Mm-hmm. I continued watching for a few, but I was starting to dislike the product, and I really wouldn't let my kids watch it. Yeah. Because during the Attitude Era, there was so much violence towards women. I didn't want my son seeing that and thinking, oh, yeah, this is okay. Yeah. And then in 2005, for me, two things merged. One, I kept seeing the wrestling to me kept going down. The, mm. the writer's involvement with professional wrestling starting in the early 2000s was not a good thing for the product. Right. Lots of stupid storylines. I almost quit watching completely when uh, Triple H was dressed up as Kane and was going to climb into a coffin oh, during yes. that Katie Vick nonsense. Uh-huh. And then in 2005, the Ultimate Fighter show came on. Mm-hmm. And I started watching UFC again. And the more I got into that, the less I was into wrestling. Right. And then by 2010, I had quit watching. Yeah. Because I was just like, I'm, I'm done with this. The only person I found compelling during that era was CM Punk, who they weren't pushing as much as they were pushing all the big guys. Right. And I started really loving MMA. So by about 2010, 2011, I'm not watching anymore. And I know um, for sure, whenever The Miz became world champion, I couldn't believe he had the world champion. My nieces told me that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, and I had quit watching a year or so before that. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I was, I thought I was done with pro wrestling. I wasn't going to watch it anymore. Right. I still wanted to research it. I've always been fascinated with when it was supposed to have been all legitimate contests and everything. I always mm-hmm. wanted to go back and research that era. And I'm glad I have. I do have to say, though, as I've said on this podcast many times, there has never been a pure time in professional wrestling <laughs> when everything was a legitimate contest. Right. Yes, prior to 1900, most, of, most the majority... Mm-hmm. Of the matches were legitimate contests, but they, right. but they worked a lot of matches too. Oh yeah, they would. Between 1900 and 1915, I'd say it's probably 50-50. Mm-hmm. And after 1915, legitimate contests are very rare, and when they do occur, most of the time it's to settle a promotional war, so it's an agreed-upon shoot beforehand. Right. Or they had a double cross or something. Right. And it's... But watching the modern product, I thought mm-hmm. I was done. Yeah. And around whatever that was, 2009, 2010, mm-hmm. whatever it was. Um, I, I figured I was done as watching pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. But I worked with a couple people that were big pro wrestling fans, and they kept telling me, you need to watch NXT and Ring of Honor. You need to watch NXT and Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. It's more like the stuff that we saw when we were younger. So I watched Ring of Honor, and I did like some of the stuff that I saw in there. Right. It has more of an independent flavor to it, but again, that's where most of the people that actually know how to wrestle came from. And I think that Hunter Johnson, their booker, does a very good job of making things make sense. And it wasn't the uncontrolled chaos you see on AEW. Right, yeah. If Tony Khan was going to hire anybody, he should hire Hunter Johnson, because he already owns Ring of Honor. Mm -hmm. He should hire him to come in and help him book. Because it will make sense, at least. Right. 
And then I started watching NXT, and NXT really reminded me a lot of the stuff that I saw in the 80s. Yeah. Because Triple H is obviously a wrestling fan. Right. Um, but then Vince had to get his hooks on that a couple years ago, too. Uh, yeah, I know. And so <laughs> I would watch NXT, and then I would occasionally watch some of the stuff. But around the time of the pandemic, I actually started tuning in again. And I, then I got Peacock. So once I had Peacock, then it was easy to... But again, I could watch a week's worth of television, eight hours, in about 30 to 45 minutes. Right. Um, it wasn't my passion for sure anymore. I'm not a passionate fan of pro wrestling. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a passionate fan of the NFL. I'm a passionate fan of the English Football League. And I'm a passionate fan of the uh, UFC in particular and mm -hmm. MMA in general. Yeah. I watch the PFL. I watch other MMA. But to me, wrestling has evolved into something that I don't find that interesting and I don't find that compelling. When it's done well, like with the bloodline, I'll still watch. But when it's not done well, I'm not going to waste my time. Life is too short. I heard a professor of mine say this one time. Life is too short. He's my film studies professor, by the way. Uh -huh. Life is too short for bad books and bad movies. Okay. If you're reading a book and you think it sucks, stop reading it. You don't have to complete it. <laughs> right, yeah. You can just go, nope, not for me. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with movies and TV shows. If you're watching something you don't find it compelling anymore, or you mm -hmm. think, oh, they really messed this up, quit watching it. Yeah. It isn't worth your time. Exactly. So for you... When did you fall out of love or fall in love? Or I fell out of uh, watching um, when um, Triple H, Ric Flair, Bautista, and Randy Orton became Evolution. Um, once again, it just reminded me of, you know, the Billionaire Boys Club. You know, <laughs> there was a bunch of bullies, and they just came out there, and they picked on everybody, and they beat everybody down. And, you know, uh, they weren't really good heels, in my opinion. I mean, they drew heat on themselves, but I was just getting tired of watching, you know, Ric Flair get up there and strut around and uh, Triple H preen his feathers and Randy Orton stand there looking like he's constipated, you know, and uh, and nothing against Bautista because he's come over and beat their you know what out of me so I'm not going to say nothing bad about him uh, but uh, to no. me it was the NWO in suits yeah exactly uh, and that's when I just kind of got really fed up with uh, and I was like man this isn't even fun anymore um, I enjoyed people like the big show and I enjoyed the rock and I enjoyed Jericho but they were all getting pushed out down or even Jericho went to another uh, you know uh went to the AEW. Uh, and I think those guys were the three best talkers in uh, WWE at the time. I was so happy when Jericho came to WWE in 1999. Oh, yeah. Because I knew he wasn't getting pushed and he wasn't getting used like yeah. he should be in WCW. Y2J. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and like I said, when, you know, those guys were the best talkers. They cut some good promos. And like I said, after that, they weren't doing them anymore. There was nobody. Austin, everybody loves Austin. And, yeah, he'd come out there and drink his beer and say he was going to stomp a mud hole in you and walk it dry. 
But that's all he ever said. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was. And, and I was an Austin fan, uh-huh. but that was only after Bret Hart left. Yeah, I, I really liked Austin. I thought he was good in the ring, but and Bret wasn't a great talker. Yeah, until '96 no, and '97, he found his voice, mm-hmm. particularly when he started doing the, you know. This is how you Americans treat me in Canada because I think he really believed all that stuff. Yeah. So it came out much more believable in, uh-huh. in all of that. And I did, and even though he did talk down about Americans and stuff, I tell you what, I you know the Montreal screw job is exactly what it was. Yeah. It was a screw job, and that was another thing that made me uh, lose respect for McMahon and Michaels. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it's like, oh, we won't let you, you know, drop the title in your hometown, you know, and then, wow. Lied to him and then double-crossing. Uh, uh, yeah, huh? And that's where that double-crossing comes in that yeah. she was talking about. So, so And he, they had to double-cross him the way they did because Brett would have whooped his behind. Oh, yeah, he would have. Mm-hmm. If we weren't trying to keep this clean, we would have said what we really thought. <laughs> right. But, yeah, um there's no way he could have beat Bret Hart in a million years. So they no. had to do it the way they did it. Yeah. Because Bret could have picked his teeth with uh, Sean and McMahon. Yeah, exactly. One of the funniest things I ever said, he, I'm sure he believed it. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that the average guy at that time, who's in his 50s, if he would have messed with Vince McMahon, yeah. would have got his butt kicked because Vince always kept himself in tremendous shape. Oh, yeah, he did. But Vince is 50-something years old. Mm-hmm. Going against a forty-year-old super in-shape guy yeah. that was stretched in the dungeon his whole life. Yeah, Vince, I don't care what you thought. <laughs> Brett would have always <laughs> kicked your butt, and he could have picked his teeth with both of you two. Yeah. So they had to do it the way that they did it. You know, just because you're built and you're strong doesn't mean you're a wrestler. Doesn't mean you can fight. Right. Exactly. You know, I've seen some great-looking MMA fighters mm-hmm. look like Greek gods. Just get beat stupid by somebody who looks like an accountant. Right, they yeah. have great technique. <laughs> they know what they're doing. Exactly. You know, so so you fell out of it before even I did because evolution would have been, I don't know, somewhere around two thousand five ish. Yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. And it was just like I said, it was just I was like, well, you know what, wrestling has run its course for me. Yeah. And really, like I said, I didn't start getting interested back into it until. Six months ago, eight months ago, uh, when I was, you know, me and you started talking, you know, after what was the health crisis and stuff, yeah. you know, uh, and uh, I, that's when I subscribed to the cock, uh, Peacock, I should say, uh, to to watch to watch it. But then, by the time the Elimination Chamber comes out, here comes Vince, yeah. and he's sticking his thumb in everybody's pie again, and it was trash. Yeah. You know, it was... And, and I knew he was going to do that. As soon mm-hmm. as he came back, I was like, I know he's going to do that. The whole reason Cody didn't win the title was because Vince is back and Vince changed his mind. Hey, well, because you can't do that and not make Cody... Without devaluing Cody terribly. Right. Because it was built to this whole thing where he was supposed to beat Roman Reigns, and then he doesn't. It's the Lex Luger effect all over again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, it was just like, um, you know, I mean, several years ago... Uh, when they were having the big, um, the big ch- uh, champion tournament, uh, and two weeks before tournament, Vince McMahon comes up to Kurt Angle and says, "Hey, we're going to hang the strap back on you." Kurt's over the moon. He's like, "Great, you know, I'm going to get into second round champ." Oh, oh no, 
and then five days before, it's like, oh no, we're we're instead we're going to give it back to Jericho, you know? And it's just like, will you make up your mind and go with it, you know? And they said that he was always like that. He was always mm-hmm. change his mind. He'd get up and he'd get a wild hair one day and change his mind. And that's when they love when the show was shot three episodes at one time because mm-hmm. Vince couldn't change his mind. Right. But now that it's live every week, they tear that show format sometimes up the morning of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You no, know, which is no way to run a creative business. No, it's not. And like I said, you know, um, well, and like I said, I don't watch anymore, but I keep abreast of it. You know, I watch a 15-minute uh, kind of recap of what happened um, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago on Raw, they started playing Seth Rollins' song. The crowd's singing it. There's no Seth Rollins. You know, and now um, Becky Lynch has renamed her, has went back to Rebecca Quinn on uh, Twitter. She's marked out all of her uh, WWE stuff on her Twitter page. So where's she going? Yeah. Um, there's been squeaks about... Uh, Damage control is going to bring a different third member in now instead of Bailey. So is Bailey going to leave now? Right. You know, it's just because who wants to put their faith in Vince McMahon? At this exactly. Point? I'm sure most people would be comfortable putting their career in the hands of Paul Levesque. Yeah. I don't think very many people are comfortable putting their hands in the their career in the hands of a crazy man. You know, who looks like every B movie villain oh we've God. ever seen. You know, I, I'm just going to go off on an aside here. Uh, if you're going to dye your freaking hair, mm-hmm. try to fool somebody. <laughs> if you were gray headed on Friday, don't show up Monday at work and now your hair is black. Jet black. Shiny yeah. black. Like, <laughs> it's like black hole black. <laughs> why don't you fade that in slowly and try to fool us <laughs> instead of two days later? I was. Gray-headed on Friday, and today, you know. Right. With a mustache. Yeah. And, and caterpillar eyebrows to match. A bad 1920s <laughs> villain's mustache. It's like, okay, with all the things you've been accused of uh, in the last couple of years, what you've done, you know, you're not being accused of them. It's yeah. all come out. It's basically <laughs> been whistleblowing it. And you come walking around with that mustache, looking like every cheesy 1920s villain. It would be like, hey, Goyley, come here and let me talk to you. Yeah, it's like, you know, I'm expecting I'm expecting to see Dudley Do-Right come around the corner and try and put the f- f- freaking handcuffs on this guy, you know? <laughs> Vince, there, there's, there's lots of evidence that something's not going on right there, Chief. I think it's called dementia. <laughs> so, I mean, just to sum up, I, I think we both recognized that wrestling was going to change from what, oh. we, what we liked in the 80s. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it would have completely turned us off because I know the difference between a worked exhibition and a legitimate contest. And mm-hmm. I hope to God that the people running this joint company now know that difference too. I I, well, I talked about in the last podcast in my mm-hmm. intro, I hate this merger of UFC and WWE yeah. because the reason the UFC has legitimacy is because they have doggedly tried to make sure no fixed fights. Yeah. I think that they did have one early fight that was not fixed but there was a gentleman's agreement not to punch each other. Mm-hmm. It was it turned into a grappling match. Yeah. But I don't know of any fixed matches, although they did just have a gambling scandal yeah. in the past couple months. 
However, in Japan, with mm-hmm. pride in these other organizations, there have been fixed fights. Ah. And if UFC, if there's ever even the whiff of fixed fights in UFC, mm-hmm. it will no longer be the most popular new sport around. People will flee that in droves because the reason people like me mm-hmm. left boxing 15 years ago yeah. is I got sick and tired of seeing guys win fights and lose the decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't fix fights anymore by having somebody take a dive. You fix fights now by fixing the judges. Yeah. And it was not long after Dad died, uh, because he was the one that introduced me to boxing when I was mm-hmm. 12 or 13. And just to be uh, perfectly clear, when I say my dad, I'm talking about my stepfather, who introduced me to boxing and everything. So when he died in 2008, I was still watching boxing. Yeah. And I was watching, it was an ESPN. Teddy Atlas was still on there. I, I think it was after Dad passed. Mm-hmm. And it was obvious that the other guy won the fight. Mm -hmm. And those judges, three judges, had that fight eight rounds to two for the guy who obviously lost. Yeah. Teddy Atlas lost his mind and started saying we need a National Boxing Commission, which he's 100% right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, But that's why I quit watching boxing. I'm like, I'm done with this. I'm tired of them fixing these fights for these up-and-coming fighters that they're representing. Because it was always the same promoters and managers. You'd see these goofy scores on mm-hmm. it. That's the same thing that'll happen to UFC. Well, so they better make sure that they keep those two as separate as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. If an aging MMA fighter retires and wants to go to WWE and make, can make money, God bless them. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to see it the other way, unless it's a CM Punk situation or a Brock Lesnar. you got somebody yeah. with legitimate credentials, or you've got somebody who wants to legitimately train and try it. And CM Punk lost both of those fights. Yeah. But give him credit for getting in the ring. Most people ain't got the guts to get in that thing and have a cage door shut behind you yeah. and fight a professional MMA fighter. Well, that's like I was telling you today that uh, I was like, oh my God, I didn't know uh, Matt Riddle. Yes. Had been an MMA fighter. Yep. Uh, and but, a fairly talented one. He won most of the fights he was in. He was on a uh, uh, season of Ultimate Fighter, too. Yeah. But you're to, to, regressing back to the uh, boxing. You know, when I quit watching boxing was uh, when George Foreman fought Axel Schultz in Las Vegas. And I want to say that was close to 1990 mm-hmm. or somewhere right in around there. Axel Schultz turned George Foreman's head into hamburger meat. I mean, it was obvious that Axel Schultz had smashed George Foreman to pieces. And did Foreman get the decision? And Foreman got the decision. That's how fights are manipulated today. And I went, that's it. Yeah. (laughs) I can't remember who the fighters were on that card. It was an ESPN card. Mm -hmm. Teddy Atlas was the commentator. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm done. Right, I've, yeah. I've had enough of this. I'm not going to sit here and watch a fight and see who I obviously knew won the fight. This The kid won all ten rounds. Yeah. It was not even close. Yet they gave the person who got his butt handed to him eight mm-hmm. rounds. Yeah. Eight to two. Well, I'll tell you what's And not- it was eight to two on all three scorecards. So did mm-hmm. all three of you leave your seeing eye dogs in the back? Or is there something else going on? Oh, there was conversing, you know, during commercial break or something. Yeah. 
Now, I tell you what, I we're, we're going to give this one to the other kid. Yeah, uh huh. Letting making make look like he's making a good show out there. I don't think you can do that in UFC because I think they put the judges on like the three corner, which is what they should always do. Oh yeah, boxing or anything else. That's what we do in TKD. Yeah, you'd put them on the corners. Um, same thing in judo. Mm-hmm. There's uh, one judge on one corner. There's one judge across on another corner, mm-hmm. and then you have the referee in the, the center. In the center, yeah, and that's and you're absolutely right. That's how it should be. Yeah. Because then that eliminates any of the potential for that. Yeah, there's no collusion, you know, with the other ones. and Yeah. So, yeah. So they, they have to keep those two things as far apart as they possibly can. Well, and can. I think I voiced that concern to you this morning that how are they going to take a legitimate sport and put it with, merge with a, a you know, scripted right. sport, if you will, or entertainment. Right. And a scripted performance and a legitimate, legitimate sport. Yeah. How are the, how are those two going to match? Because I'm with you. I don't want to see, you know, Seth Rollins all of a sudden coming over to MMA and right. fighting Conor McGregor. Right. As I was, I don't want to see, you know, Conor McGregor going, you know, right. to WWE fighting. Unless he's retired and he's done with UFC. All yes, time. yes, exactly. Exactly. And he's going to have to put on some weight. Yeah, he will. Or go to AEW. Yeah, true. And, and a couple of guys will look up to him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to just leave that alone. Uh, <laughs> well, I told Caleb one day we were sitting there, and I showed him one of the matches. Uh-huh. And, you know, Caleb is six foot 280 probably. Yeah. And he looks at that, he goes, Dad, I think I'm bigger than every one of those guys. I said, I think you're bigger than 75% of the roster. <laughs> right. Think about the only and one. It shouldn't always. It should not always be about size. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it is when you have a CM Punk or when you have. Um, who are some of the smarter? I tell you, have you seen Adam Cole lately? Uh uh-uh. uh He is the incredible shrinking man. He must have lost fifteen pounds. Adam Cole. And he was slight to begin with. Yeah, he was. Um, but. Even that, even with all the weight he's lost, he should yeah. put some weight back on because mm-hmm. it doesn't help his appearance. Yeah. But I can still buy him. Yeah. But there's others that look so physically ridiculous. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. There was, so, is it Brody King, the third member of the House of Black? The real big guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. It was him and Buddy Matthews versus these two uh, underneath, mid whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. They were enhancement talent in the past. Curtain jerkers. Yeah. <laughs> They were out there, and it was so physically ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It's like, I can't take this seriously. I hope they don't give them any offense whatsoever because it would look absolutely ridiculous for these two guys who both had to be under five foot six without athletic bills, taking on a guy that's like six foot four yeah, and over and 300 pounds, and then Buddy Matthews, who he says he's really only about 215, but he's 215 of solid muscle, and he looks. 235, 240. I was going to say, he's made out of spring steel and raw, huh? Yeah. You know, it's... Yeah, it's just, it looks physically ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of my more serious criticisms with AEW, mm-hmm. is they don't have uh, enough of the bigger guys, because I think you need a mix. I don't want to oh, see, yeah. I don't want to mm-hmm. see WWE, where you got all a bunch of big guys who don't know a wrist lock from a wristwatch to quit. Gorilla Monsoon. Right. And, you know, and uh, that that does happen. Um, you know, uh, 
Uh, uh, uh, what's his name? Omos? Amos? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, think, I think it's Omos, but <laughs> they, Jim Cornette and Brian Lacks call him Omos because he's almost ready to be in the ring. He's almost I mean, ready to be on I watched TV. One of his, I watched one of his matches. Of course, this was several months ago, but I was like, oh my gosh, this guy is so green. You yeah. know, and it was just, but like you said, he's he's a big man and doesn't know. Now, the, the, the two... I will say... I let's say something nice about him. Mm-hmm. He's green as grass. Yeah, but I've not seen him do anything dangerous that's going to kill somebody. Well, that's good because we've talked about people landing on people's faces, <laughs> and the stuff we've seen. Yeah, Ricochet. I think he was going to come down for a leg drop, but, but he, coming down, he got missed by first, <laughs> right in Sami Zayn's lap. God Almighty! And you could tell. Sami Zayn was hurt. Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> he folded up like, ooh <laughs> um, So, yeah, at least being a big guy and throwing people around, the only thing he could do is throw somebody down wrong and have them land on their head. I have right, not seen yeah. him do any of that. Right. But, yeah, if he was going to get up on the top rope and do a leg grab, I'd be like, not on me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'd be rolling right out of there. I mean, you know, but you, you look at the two of the bigger guys. Now, once again... Like I said, I haven't watched it in several months, probably January. Um, but um, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus both, uh, for big men, actually do a lot of moves in the ring. They do. You know, when you had McIntyre Hogan... McIntyre is particularly athletic. Yeah. Uh, you know, Hogan, he had three moves. Yes. A punch, a body slam, and a leg drop. That's all he did. Yes, I know. That's why it, I couldn't stand <laughs> And, uh, I mean... In the NWA, we got Ric Flair, yeah. one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time. Uh-huh. And then I go to the other channel, and it's punch, body slam, leg drop, drop. and now I'm going to pose for 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And guess what? You've got the 30th greatest body in uh, pro wrestling right, right. now. But, you know, and you I, know, Hogan's going to really think I don't like him. Right. <laughs> I tell you what, I think the Although claim... Although calling him bogus in 86, when he walked by, probably would have told him <laughs> that too. And no pun intended, but I think the Claymore is one of the most explosive finishers in yeah. WWE I right really now. like him. I don't know why they took the title off him yeah. so quickly. I don't either. Because to me, Reigns is obviously the biggest star right now. Oh, yeah. But McIntyre could be right up there with him. And he is someone you could see beating Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. You oh, could yeah. see him beating Brock Lesnar. He has. Mm-hmm. I can't see a lot of other people beating Roman Reigns. No. I had a hard time visualizing Cody doing I was going to say, I couldn't do built, Cody Rhodes. Right. I didn't want to see Cody Rhodes do it, but the way right. they built him up, it's like he either has to beat Roman Reigns or he's going to look like the biggest dud walking. Right. And, you know, after they did the whole vignette with him, oh, how he, you know, came over and then how he, you know, half of his chest was hanging off of him and he worked through it and now he's all... I was like, oh, geez, we're going to have another Rhodes as a champion. And they didn't. And I was like, well, you know what? Maybe Vince isn't as crazy as I thought he was. Oh, yeah, he is, but... Yeah. (laughs) The the problem is, though, because of the way they built him, now you've kind of damaged Cody. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to have to do a lot of Especially after what happened with Brock Lesnar the week after. Yeah. It's like we've really changed our mind. We're going to take Cody in a different direction. Yeah. If Cody loses to Brock, yeah, he might as well ask for his release and start a new company. Oh, wait a minute. Because I don't think he's going back to AEW. <laughs> no. I was going to say, oh, wait, he already did that, didn't he? Yeah. 
good. As for his release and start a new one, maybe he can get with those guys. What was that thing that that short lived attempt? Uh, control your narrative. Oh maybe, yeah. Maybe they're looking for another partner. <laughs> so I I don't know, Dan. I'm I'm thinking that we made it pretty obvious that we are not fans of the modern wrestling product. We we aren't. No, uh, we we you know I want. I, in fact, if we could go back to, like I said, I was refer- calling one of my favorite matches. It was an NWA match in St. Louis. It was Ric Flair and Bruiser Brody in a cage, two out of three falls, one hour time limit. Yeah. You know, you're in a steel cage with the referee. There's no climbing out. There's no going through the door. You got to pin the guy in the ring. Yeah. You know, in a steel cage. That was just. One of the most awesome things that my mind could have comprehended, you yeah. know. And Brody and Flair pulled it off. Yes, they did. Because when you look at them, you're like, this little guy can't do anything with Brody. But mm-hmm. they made it work and they made it look good. Yeah. Now, Brody was always had the reputation of being stiff. But, um, you know, apparently he could work with Flair or whatever, but... Uh, yeah, I think he had a reputation for being stiff when the promoters made him mad or a wrestler made him mad. Yeah, mm-hmm. true. Which I, I told you, um, the project I'm working on right now, So, and this is going to be, we're getting ready to close up shop here pretty mm-hmm. soon. So the next uh, podcast is going to be when I had promised last. This is going to be a bonus episode. Episode 23 will come out on May 8th. And it will be on sumo wrestling in America, as I told you. I didn't even know this before I started the book. Mm-hmm. But there were sumo. Uh, there was one sumo match. Nobody dressed as a sumo though. One sumo match, and then a lot of matches with that as part of the mixed style rules mm-hmm. in the nineteenth uh, century, the eighteen hundreds. Yeah, a lot of the wrestling matches were mixed styles. So you'd have one fall catches catch can, one fall Greco-Roman, yeah, one fall maybe side hold because a lot of the wrestlers were specialists in a certain type of wrestling. Right, Cornish wrestling they wore jackets like a, more like Sambo because mm-hmm. they would wear trunks with a jacket. Yeah, as opposed to you know like a full uh, gi. Mm-hmm. And when Matsuda came over, Matsuda had been a sumo wrestler. Yeah. So to kind of even the playing field, he wanted to wrestle by Japanese rules, which initially I thought might have been jujitsu rules, but it's actually sumo rules. Sumo rules, yeah. So I'm going to talk about that in the next podcast. But Matsuda is more famous, and I think we might even have talked about this on one of the podcasts you were the guest on. Matsuda is most famous for almost getting killed by Evan the Strangler Lewis in 1886 in Chicago. Right, yeah. He put the front face lock on him, the guillotine choke. Yeah. And... um, Matsuda's face turned gray. He held it on so long. Oh, jeez. And then they wrestled a month later, and the Chicago mayor had demanded the stranglehold be barred. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Lewis tried to break his leg that time. Mm-hmm. And I always wondered, what did Matsuda do to make Lewis mad? Lewis had a vicious temper and a hell of a mean streak. Mm-hmm. So if you made him mad or you got cute with him, he'd hurt you. Yeah. He would do exactly what he did to Matsuda. And I'm like, what on earth did he do? Because I, I'm not, in any of the accounts of the matches, I have not found where what he did in that first match that hmm. made Lewis mad. But I'm hoping to, I've got more uh, sources now because newspapers.com yeah. is expanding all the time and getting more and more collections. 
So I've got a much richer source to uh, mine. Yeah. So I'm hoping to find out, but I do have a suspicion now because in a lot of his early matches, he was warned for fouling because he would use his head to headbutt people. Mm-hmm. I guess it used to be in that sumo stance with your head down and rushing into people. You know, you bang heads and arms. And right, arms. yeah, absolutely. He was banging a lot of people with his head in his early matches in 1884. Oh, okay. So I'm wondering if he headbutted Lewis because that would be enough. Well, for, he, for Lewis to hurt you. I was going to say, if you popped him in the sternum with that ball head. <laughs> yeah, well, and, you know, hit him in the face. Or something yeah. Like that, that'd be enough for Lewis to hurt you. Oh, yeah. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping to be able to confirm that in <laughs> yeah. the book. But, yeah, that's one of the things I'm wondering. Man. So we will talk about Matsuda in the next episode. I, I hope you enjoyed our little walk down memory lane and why we were wrestling fans and why we really aren't anymore. Um, I don't begrudge the business for changing. It had to. It couldn't continue the way it did. Um, I do begrudge Vince McMahon for putting everybody out of business because I don't think he had to do that. Right. And um, I can't really say I'm that big of a fan of the, the product anymore. I definitely would not consider myself a pro wrestling fan anymore. No. In the 80s, I was a professional wrestling fan. Right. In the 90s, I was a, a pro wrestling fan to a casual fan. I mm-hmm. was not nearly the fan I was in the 80s when I used to go to the matches with my sister and then later on with you. Right. And then in the 2000s and on, I really wasn't much of a wrestling fan. I was much more of an MMA fan. Mm-hmm. I would watch it casually, but I was never really passionate about it. And right. Unless the landscape changes, I don't see me ever watching it again. Yeah, and I'm with you when I first started watching the <clears throat> 85, 86. I mean, every Sunday... From, you know, 10 to 1, I was glued to that TV set seeing what Iceman King Parsons was going to do on WCCW and to see what, uh, you know, Pedro Morales or whoever they was bringing out for their squash match against Savage on WWE. And then the 90s, like I said, is I kind of got away from it like you. I mean, you know, I was still a big Randy Savage fan, uh, more of an Elizabeth fan probably than <laughs> Macho Man, but you know, let's call a spade a spade here. Yeah. Uh, you know, but like I said, I got to get, I kind of got away from it and became a casual fan. Um, and like I said, when Evolution came around, I just quit because it wasn't fun anymore. Uh, and then, like I said, when I kind of got into it over the last eight months, it was kind of fun. But um, I, the one thing that I and think, what did you like about the last eight months? That it was something new, something fresh. It didn't have. And did you like the whole show, or were there? Oh yeah, the whole shows were the shows were great. I mean, it didn't have Vince McMahon stamped all over it. Yeah. Um. You know, and I think. Uh, and you know, one of the reasons I think he can't keep his hands off creative, I think he's jealous of Paul Levesque. I think I, so. I think he would not have known this, but I've had a theory for a while. His stooges would tell him. Mm-hmm. What have you heard on the internet and everything else for the last few years when Triple H was running NXT? Man, it's going to be, wrestling's going to be so great yeah. once Vince McMahon's gone and Triple H is in charge of creative. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Vince has been sabotaging those NXT guys because he's jealous that people are saying that. Karrion Cross is oh, the yes. prototypical Vince McMahon. Get behind, push this guy. Big to the guy, moon. muscular, yes. athletic. The, the guy Vince loves. 
And what does he do? He puts him in a stupid demolition contest. Yeah. Takes away the most impressive part of the package with him, which is Scarlet, mm -hmm. and sends him out there to get beat by Jeff Hardy. Yeah. What are we doing here? Right, yeah. Now, I will say, and one thing that I, um, I kind of enjoyed um, to a point was I enjoyed what Paul Levesque did uh, with bringing the women's division up to a level of what the men were doing. Yep. Um, Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair can probably claim the two best matches on WrestleMania mm -hmm. out of the last two or three years. And I think that Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair, Ronda Rousey match from WrestleMania a few years ago, mm -hmm. it probably must have been 2019 when Charlotte Flair came out of the helicopter like Rick did. Oh, yeah. At Starcade. Mm hmm, mm -hmm. That was, to me, uh, not only was it a great match, but it was a great presentation. It was great. Yeah. And uh, I tell you what, I really enjoyed them bringing in Oscar. Uh, yes. I, I thought she was a dynamite wrestler and uh, with the uh, Asian background mm -hmm. and everything. I just, I was like, wow, this gal has got some moves and I was really, you know, I was impressed by what she could do. Uh, but like I said, now that Vince McMahon's in, he's seems to be dismantling everything <laughs> again, yeah. you know, and, and taking over. But, uh, but like I so Endeavor, great job. Yeah. <laughs> and one thing, and, and I know we talked about this a little bit at, uh, just, just very briefly today is, um, um, you know, there's no more, uh, dwarf wrestling because, People are so upset about it and against it because they're ex they feel that they're exploiting uh, dwarves and little people. And no, these guys were making there was making more money than the big guys I was were. Say, Cowboy Lang and uh, Lord Littlebrook, who was booking them all. Uh huh. Those guys were making big money. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think you should ever take anybody's opportunity away. Yes, we should not be exploiting anybody. Or exactly, yes. But sometimes I think we go out of our way to try to do well. Mm -hmm. And we take away people's opportunities because we don't want them to be exploited. Well, and we took away their livelihood. Yeah. You know, one one month they're in, you know, they're traveling from city to city, getting paid, doing acrobatics, basically. Yeah. Knowing that, uh, you know, okay, Lord and, Littlebrook, you've got a lot of comedy, too. <laughs> yeah. How many times you see him pull the referee's <laughs> pants down? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I wish that we could get some of that back. And like I said, but not exploit them. You know? Right. Uh, uh, do it in a tasteful you know, manner that we're used to seeing. Well, I mean, so I read a book not long ago called Women in White Coats. Mm -hmm. I strongly recommend it. Um, I wish I had the author's name right off the top of my head, but it was about the first women that went into medicine mm -hmm. and all the prejudicial attitudes yeah. they faced and stuff. That's the same thing that went on with women's wrestling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Women weren't allowed to wrestle for years because it wasn't ladylike and it wasn't the, the, the profession they're supposed to have. Mm -hmm. I think anybody should be able to pursue any profession that they want. Absolutely. So women want to be wrestlers. Women want to be MMA stars. No matter what. Women, men should be able to pursue anything. Mm -hmm. People that are vertically challenged because they have dwarfism in it should have the opportunity to pursue the career they want. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be shut off to them because people 
have their own preconceived ideas about what is right and wrong for other people. Right. Let people make those decisions. The only exception I make is children need to be allowed to be children. There should be the child labor laws. There should be those kinds of things. That shouldn't go on. She'll let children be children. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to adults, adults live their life. Mm -hmm. And people need to be free to live their life the way they want to do it without everybody in the world sitting there judging them for, oh, you shouldn't do this or you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. You can't be this. You can't be that. Everything you've ever heard throughout history. Correct. That... If this happens, you know, if women practice medicine, this is the end of the world. It's mm-hmm. never been the end of the world, and it's never going to be the end of the world. Right, exactly. Because I tell you what, actually, in some in some branches of medicine, like, uh, as you know, I was one time a respiratory therapist. And I tell you what, I, at one time, I was one of three guys in a department of 27 women. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was, it's... Uh, women are doing a lot more out there, and, uh, and uh, some of the some of the uh, branches of medicine are being dominated by women. Yep, and there's not any profession that should be closed off to them. Exactly. Period. And I, I feel the same way about any other adult mm-hmm. with whatever challenges it. Right. So, yeah. but I think we have beat this one to death. We have. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to end it here, and uh, I will be back on uh, March. Or I'm sorry, May the 8th, uh, with the Sorokichi Matsuda episode. Who knows? I got Dan back in the studio. Maybe I can corner Caleb here in the next week or two. <laughs> a lot of it has been my schedule. Uh, it's been a little crazy since I went back to the university, but hopefully I'm getting things back in alignment now. So hopefully you'll get, uh, just not hear me, but you'll get to hear other people. Well, um, you know, maybe uh, come July, August, you'll unfortunately get more of me probably <laughs> i'll be a, i'll be a little bit geographically closer right. yeah we'll, we'll be back in the the same area code so but for now thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time bye bye